0: our Savior, our Lord, and our life.
1: Dear ones, we are blessed that you joined us today on this edition of the Our Resolute Hope podcast. I'm serving as the host. My name's John Russon, and I'm here with my partner in crime, my dear friend, Pastor Frank Friedman. Hey, man, it was great to see you a few moments ago. How are you doing?
2: We're doing very well, John. It's extremely hot down here, but... We got life inside of us, so away we go. Yeah, well, I don't want to gloat, but up here
1: in the mountains of Virginia, where we're spending the next month or so, the lows are in the 50s and the 60s, and the highs are in the 70s and 80s, so I guess I will gloat (laughs) a little bit. (laughs) Hey, man, before we get started, we just finished a rebuild on our webpage. I want you to just take a minute to talk about your heart in putting that web page out, and what you'd like it to communicate to the people who would visit?
2: Oh, well, the very first thing, John, is we tried to create a first page that was warm, inviting, loving. As you know, when people surf and and visit websites. The appeal to the eye is very important. And so we tried uh, to do that graphically. And then with our words, our language, you know, it's the goodness of God that leads men to repentance, we're told in Romans. So we wanted to tell about the goodness of God. And we are constantly, as you know, producing new material. And so we wanted to reorganize the website for blogs and podcasts and books and ebooks. And we're hoping in the near future, we're excited about this, to have other guest authors on our website. And so we can hit with as many people as possible with a multiplicity of voices. You know, there's some people that may not respond to me, but they may respond to somebody else or may not respond to you, but may respond to a lady. And so we're, we're trying to do that as well. It's, we're excited about that. So just trying to find a website that would be very user friendly, but always exalting the Lord Jesus. And it's it's been a fun, fun project.
1: It has. It's taken us a little while. And by the time you hear this, all the wrinkles should be ironed out. And I guess uh, the main theme that we looked at was we wanted to make it a place where you would come, you as a visitor would come and settle in and stay a while because there's mm. a lot there. And so we invite you, if you haven't spent much time there recently, take a visit to our website, ourresolutehope.com. Give us a look. And uh, as they used to say at the end of the Beverly Hillbillies, now I'm dating myself. Set a spell. Yeah. (laughs) Y'all come back now, you hear? Well, friends, if you've just joined us, Frank and I are chatting our way through our current series in the podcast, which is on the epistle to the Colossians, which we think is the premier highlight on the sufficiency and the preeminency of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And Frank, I want to begin right at the end of chapter one, where we left off last time. And I want to read a passage beginning in verse 20, and I want to pick up our conversation with verse 23. So let's dive in. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Frank, that's where we ended last time. And this is where I want to pick up. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. Now, Frank, this word if could be a stickler for some folks. Uh, it's, It's a word of condition. It can be troubling to some people. And it almost can read, if you don't continue in the faith, you're no longer saved. Uh, You're re-separated from God. You become re-hostile in mind. So help us out here, Frank. What exactly is going on with that troublesome word, if?
2: Well, John, you know, we can have a life and not live it. We could put a million dollars in the bank and never write a check, and it would never change the way we're living. So the key we have to remember, Paul said this, it's one of the most important verses in the entire Bible, I think, is that he said he did not shun from teaching the whole counsel of God. And so when we come to a verse like this. There are people that have built a whole theology, a doctrinal system, that we can lose our salvation. And I really believe, and I hate to say this, but you know, when you and I have been around like we have for 40 years, we see a lot. And I really believe that there are a lot of people who do that because they are into controlling God's people with fear. If I can make you fearful, I can can make you jump through hoops. I can control your behavior. And I think a lot of people, unfortunately, have that as an ulterior motive. Instead of teaching them who they are in Christ, teaching them who the Holy Spirit is to them, and trusting them to the Holy Spirit that he will lead and guide his kids. And so we can't lose our salvation. We know that uh, Hebrews 10 is probably the best verse in the New Testament. He has perfected forever. Now that's pretty clear, isn't it? Those who are being perfected. So there's a difference between our position, if you will, in our condition. There's a difference between what we possess in Christ and how we practice what we possess in Christ. And that's all he's saying. You are in Christ. You are blameless. You are filled with the Spirit. But you also have a choice every moment of every day of whether you're going to live from God or try to find life in some other source. Amen.
1: And we wrestle with that choice every day, every moment of every day, sometimes. As you know, Frank, I did not go to cemetery like you did. So any Greek I pick up, I have to dig out of uh, old books and stuff that I have. And I did find out that this word if is uh, something called a first class condition. Oh, good for you. (laughs) And and it means that it's determined as already fulfilled. So what I did was I took the liberty, as I often do, and I retranslated this to include the intent of that condition, if. And it says, if indeed you continue, and you certainly will.
2: Will, right. Or another
1: one is, uh, (laughs) because you will certainly continue in the faith. And this is what he says. He says, hey, because you will you're going to find yourself stable. You know, Mm -hmm. this is like a bedrock foundation. When you build a house in Louisiana, you pour a really thick slab to get started. You'll find yourself immovable, steadfast, And you'll find yourself not shifting, not diverting your attention, not moving away from the focus of the king in front of you. And so this is what father has already not promised to do for us. He's already done for us. Mm. And if we will set our minds on him, every one of those things I just said would be true about us every day, all day. Because, friend, as you talked about already, the big choice that everyone makes, the alternative to walking in truth and living out of stability and steadfastness and not shifting, we find the alternative in Galatians 5. And, Frank, this is an absolutely heinous list of what people can do, what believers can do when they turn so far away from the truth. Uh, And they walk after the flesh, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, dissensions, divisions, envy, and it goes on and on. Man, this is a pretty sobering perspective on how far a believer can drift from the truth of the gospel, isn't it?
2: Yeah, that's exactly right, John. And, you know, when Paul uses that first-class condition, I see him almost fulfilling what he wrote in First Corinthians 13, that love hopes all things, believes all things. And I think the idea there is that I believe you will walk in that steadfastness. I believe that you will not look to other life sources. And there's almost a sense of incredulity. I mean, how could you do anything else? Do you remember in Galatians 1, what Paul wrote to those people? He said, I marvel. Oh, yeah. I marvel that you're so quickly departing from him. I mean, he is, we just saw in Colossians one, he's everything to us. So how could you go to look for someone else? And, and one other thought I had in my brain as I was listening to you, that same list is almost verbatim repeated in 1 Corinthians 6. Oh, yes. When Paul said, this was what you were, but it's not who you are anymore. So why would you walk like somebody you're not? It's almost like Paul is saying, that doesn't make sense to me. Well, I get asked a lot when I do Q&A and stuff, and people always ask me to define sin. And I think one of the best definitions we could use is temporary insanity. (laughs) Uh, You know, (laughs) you're right. You know, because you found life, you found truth, and and now you're going to be insane and act like you don't know it. It's crazy. Yeah.
1: And you know, it does shed insight into how we should approach someone who's wrestling with these issues, because a lot of us do. In fact, all of us do at time, but some folks get really off track a lot. And so some folks want to jump in there and say, well, I want to help this person. And so let me go back and let me show them why everything they're doing is inconsistent with scripture. So they're focusing on the symptoms They're not focusing on the core problem, which is that they're not living out of who they are in Christ. You know, shoot, they may not even know who they are in Christ. And so they're walking in ignorance. And so as we have, you and I have talked about many times over the years, the answer to every problem is Jesus and knowing the truth about who he is and who he is in us and who we are because of what he did for us at the cross. It's almost like a a band-aid, a patch, a cure that really addresses the source of every sin, doesn't it?
2: Yeah. You know, I think, John, you just said at the church, I think we, we make a big mistake when we try to behavior modify. Yes. We, we're not behavior modificationists. We are resurrectionists. We are taking people and showing them that whoever they thought they were before, that person died. It doesn't exist anymore, buried and resurrected brand new. You know, one of the shortest counseling times I ever had, John, was a young lady came in and she was a bulimic. And I said, so why are you here? And she said, well, because I'm a bulimic. And I said, so again, why are you here? And she's well, such know. a smart aleck. <laughs> no, I don't handle people like this, but this one time the Holy Spirit said, do this. And I said, well, if you're a bulimic, you shouldn't be here. You should be down at the all you can eat Shoney's. And I said, you could stuff your face and put your fingers and do your business in the parking lot. And she said, well, I don't like the way that sounds. I said, young lady, the reason you don't like it is because it's not who you are. I said, who told you, you were a bulimic. And she said it was the counselor she was going to. And I told her right then, I said, well, they gave you a false identity and you're living out of it. And she looked at me and said, I'm not a bulimic. And I said, that's right. You're a child of God. And why would a child want to act like that? Now, John, we we need our listeners to know that doesn't happen very often. You know, a lot of times there's deep-seated belief systems and vows and lies, and it takes a while. But in this one instance, she was a radical example of how the truth sets people free.
1: Yes, indeed. And, you know, and listen to your talk. My mind runs back to how the Apostle Paul handled the Galatian confusion. And he didn't walk in with a measuring stick and point out everything that was wrong and then correct every little thing. He went after the heart. You know, they had mm. forgotten who they were in Christ. And mm. so when you do that, you are subject to all kinds of. Of twists and turns that the enemy might parade in front of you. In their case, it was circumcision and dietary laws. In the Colossians case, it's going to be holidays and feast days and holy days and, you know, the old Jewish calendar. So we're subject mm. to all of that twisting that sounds so good, especially if you can find a verse that talks about it, but it is not Christ. And so the enemy will let us get away with being close enough to the truth to make us feel good, but not close enough to really make a difference in our life, won't he?
2: Mm. Yes, sir. That's right. And especially when we put the focus on ourselves and are able, in some semblance, to accomplish good things, we start to think we're pretty good. Oh, yeah. And forget <laughs> that our only adequacy is that which comes from Christ.
1: Amen. You said that very well, my friend. And so this is a picture of the Apostle Paul, Frank. And he says this, he says, the gospel that you heard proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and I, Paul, became a minister. Okay, now this word Mm -hmm. minister is diakonos. It's the word servant. And if you want to know what a minister really looks like, You know, most folks don't have a real good idea of what it's like to be a pastor and a shepherd, but he goes right into the next passage, verse 24. I rejoice in my sufferings, Uh, not only for my sake, but for your sake. Now, I'll tell you right off the bat, Frank, I got a problem with that. I don't mind suffering for the stupid things I do because in my mind, I say, well, duh, you should know better. But suffering, choosing to, uh, to suffer, for the sake of another. That's a totally different game, isn't it? That's a heart that comes only from our father, a heart that was manifested in our big brother, Jesus, and how he lived and what he did for us and transplanted into us so that we could live the very same way. So what's your take on suffering, man? The first thing that comes (laughs) into my mind is that this is an awful gospel presentation. (laughs) If I were a preacher and I said, come to Jesus and suffer, (laughs) you know, how many people would walk up to the aisle, man, oh, man. All right, man, I'm going to unleash you. Talk to us about (laughs)
2: suffering. Well, I think, John, we've got a gospel presentation in America that is not really in harmony with scripture or really in harmony with the gospel, I think people are hearing around the world. The word witness, when we become a witness, uh, that's the word martyreo, and it, the word from which we get martyr. And so we have done, I think, a very poor job in the United States of presenting what the gospel is really all about. You know, in Philippians two, he said, Jesus humbled himself and became man so that he could lay down his life. And in verse five of Philippians, he said, we're to have the same mindset. And when you search through scripture, and especially in the context of what was going on when it was written, there was persecution under Nero, persecution under Diocletian. It was really, there was no such thing as a gospel that said, hey, do you want to go to heaven someday? Uh, It was really more so, do you want to receive Christ and receive life? And by the way, you might get killed tomorrow. Uh, You might lose your house. You might lose your job. uh, But you will have a relationship with God. And that was what people were signing up for. The very gospel itself is an invitation into the conflict of the ages between light and dark, good and evil the living God, and the counterfeit God who tries to exalt himself above the throne of God. So I think if we maybe taught the gospel like Paul has here in Colossians 1, we wouldn't have all those false conversions where people go to meetings, go to churches, get a hard sell, raise a hand, sign a card, but we don't see them in a year because I don't know if they were really genuine Uh, in the new Testament era. You counted the cost of becoming a Christian because the cost could be your life. So yeah, John, suffering is part of the program.
1: (laughs) Yeah. You know, and listening to your talk. You and I spent a lot of years ministering together in South Louisiana. And uh, we have commented many times about just the rampant growth of the prosperity gospel, the easy Jesus, the name it and claim it, and uh, you're already wonderful and perfect. You don't have to suffer or struggle at all. But that version of the gospel, I found, Frank, it isn't true. In fact, it's, it's not only not true, it's incredibly destructive because it robs us of what the real blessings of the gospel are meant to be. Let me read this verse. Paul writes this in Philippians 3.10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Now, to be honest, a lot of folks stop there because Mm. we want the power, man. We want to be that, you know, that life from death stuff that really excites us. But the problem is you can't separate the power of the resurrection from the very next phrase. And I may share in his sufferings, And become like him in his death. Wow. You know, Mm. this is really the gospel. You hit the nail on the head because when the old ancient Roman believers would step forward and say yes to Jesus, they could be signed up to visit the Colosseum the very next day. And they weren't going to get a seat. You know, they were just going to be thrown (laughs) into the arena. You just didn't know. And we have lost that in the modern culture, not only in this country, but in a lot of countries around the world. But the truth is that when we preach that gospel, we rob people of a tremendous part of the sharing of the life of Jesus because we won't know what it's like to share in his suffering, become like him in his death so that we can say, as Paul does, because of my sufferings, I rejoice. So we're really stealing the joy of these people. Uh, And it's a horrible, a horrible lie to perpetrate, in my opinion. I know it's a harsh thing to say, but sometimes when I think about this, I just get really mad,
2: man. I really do. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, John, it also sets people up for disillusion. When the suffering comes, they're like, hey. I thought this was going to be, you know, a free float through the rest of my life. And they become disillusioned with God. They get frustrated and they start to look at themselves and say, what's wrong with me? And unfortunately, you know, those people who proclaim a gospel of prosperity and wonderful life, have an instant answer available for those people. And it's simply, well, you don't have enough faith. And then that confirms that they are doing something wrong. And then they can't muster up the faith. And then finally, they just give up. And and that's a tragedy, because Jesus said just a little teeny, tiny bit of faith will move a mountain. So The failure to communicate that the moment you embrace Christ, you have gone to the front lines of the epic battle of the ages, and we're just not preparing people for that.
1: No, really, and you know, sometimes the suffering can be so great, Frank, as you know, people just build a wall, they build a stronghold of protection around themselves, because if this is what God did to them in the past... You know, it, or if you could say it a different way, if this is what God has allowed into their lives in the past, I don't want any more of that love. Mm. And so, and well, I, I know people. In fact, I can name yeah. people right now who are walking that way and have walked that way for decades. And yeah. to them, God becomes like a meme or a "In Jesus' name, Amen" type God. He doesn't really engage in any aspect of their everyday life because they built a wall of protection against him.
2: Well, you know, John, Jesus warned us. He said in the world, you're going to have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. We've won. We may lose our life, but we've won. You know, the goal isn't to live forever on this planet. The goal is to know God who is eternal life. And, you know, Jesus said, don't be surprised when they try to kill you. And when they hate you, they hated me first. And so, you know, the verse in Colossians that you read earlier, I think that's what it's talking about uh, when it says we fill up the sufferings of Christ. The world dished out in AD 33 all they could against the Lord Jesus Christ. But in their wicked, deceitful, ugly hearts, it wasn't enough. And the world to this day still has more hatred of Jesus to dish out. And so when we name the name of Christ, we bear that wrath and hatred directed against him now applied to us and you know jesus said that to paul remember that next time oh yeah he said why do you persecute me he didn't say why do you persecute my children he said you persecute me and john over the years that's been a great source of comfort in my life when people have thrown stuff at me in their attempt to be cruel or persecute, is it's this idea of saying, you know what, it's really not me. They're persecuting Jesus in me. And then what a privilege to be able to suffer uh, for the Lord Jesus Christ at that point.
1: You know, you said something there, Frank, that uh, I really want our listeners to, to hear again, that when the world hates you, while they're directing their hate at you, they really just hate Jesus. And because he's in you, you're going to get the full brunt, but you are really not the focus of their hate. They hate Jesus. And because you're on his team, uh, they hate you by association, but you you are so right, man. in talking about that verse in my flesh, Paul writes, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of the body. That doesn't mean Frank, that, that Christ's suffering his payment, it lacks something. It wasn't enough. And he didn't do it all for us. You know, that Paul had to step in and do the rest. Oh, no, 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 no. You know, I look at it this way. If you want to know what Paul has suffered, read 2 Corinthians 11. You know, I haven't been shipwrecked. (laughs) I haven't been (laughs) in prison. You know, I haven't been snake bit. and should have been dead. I haven't had any of that. And this is how I kind of interpret that. It says, you know, while I've suffered all these things, I haven't suffered everything yet, and I'm busy filling in the gaps. And guess what, Frank? You and I are still busy filling in the gaps because there are so many ways that Christians can be persecuted. Uh, and <clears> we just, well, no matter which arena we're in, the world will find a new way to hate us to persecute us, to bring pressure against us and shame and accusation. And as many circumstances as there are in life, that's how many different ways that the enemy can bring that attack against us. But, Mm -hmm. you know, Paul says, but despite my sufferings, you know, he didn't say I grit my teeth and I tolerate it. And I cry out to Jesus to take the burden away. He says, despite my sufferings, I rejoice. Wow, golly, Mm. what an attitude towards suffering. I tell you, my friend, I'll be very honest here. That is not
2: my first
1: response whenever I suffer.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I don't know that it's many people's (laughs) response. But, you know, uh, there's a verse in Philippians, I believe it's chapter one, where he's Paul says it has been granted to you to suffer yes so that adds a unique perspective to this idea that it's actually a privilege it's something that has been granted to us and you say well father how about granting someone else oh yeah (laughs) you know (laughs) my buddy over
1: here needs a little bit of blessing too
2: (laughs) but it is an amazing thing to take that as a uh a permissive gift from the hand of God. John, I want to share something. I don't remember how this occurred. I don't remember if I read it in a book, if I heard it from a speaker, or if it was something the Holy Spirit popped in my mind when we were talking back and forth years ago. But it was something like this. When we're in eternity and we have been there for ages and ages, there might come a believer to the Lord Jesus and say, Lord, I love you so much, I would suffer for you. (laughs) And, And the response from the throne will be, you already had your chance to do that. And another chance will never be granted for all eternity. When we're in the eternal state, there's no more suffering, John. So the only opportunity we have to glorify God as we walk with our faith in Him when the opposition comes is now. And we just get one shot at it. And I hope that speaks to our listeners because you know, John, I'm sure they're out there. Uh, They've lost family members, relationships with family, boyfriends, girlfriends, spouses, kids, maybe parents. This is not something that just happens to missionaries and pastors. It's the lot that befalls every believer uh, to live in a world where this is not their home. And be the light in the darkness.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's a a really tough job to do. And when I think about that, I'm looking at this verse 25, and I just see, in fact, I've just seen it for the first time, and I've looked at this passage now for a couple of weeks in preparation for this. Paul's talking about all this suffering for, for the sake of others, and he says, for which I became a minister. This is verse 25. I became a servant for suffering according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. In other words, this was my job description. My job description was was not just to go out and to preach to the Gentiles and to start churches and to write these letters. My ministry, my servanthood was in suffering for you. Wow. Wow. You know, he says plainly, he's in prison now, he's endured other sufferings in the past, beatings, prison, perils, pain, hunger, thirst, for the sake of me and you, Frank, for the sake of the Colossians. And so I said, Father, why? Why is this necessary? And this is the word he gave to me. And it comes right out of the end of verse 25, to make the word of God fully known. So Frank, I'll ask this question, why is suffering necessary? Because without it, We won't fully know God. We won't know his word fully. And without suffering, we will not be able to see or understand our father or his functioning in our life. And we will not be conformed to the image of a son as fully as we can be without suffering. So it is a critical
2: part of the life of a believer, isn't it? Wow, what a thought. Well, John, people don't like to hear that, <laughs> but I believe it's true. You look at Job and when all of that suffering came upon him towards the end of the book, he does say, I used to know about you through what I had heard, but now my eyes see for myself. There's the sense in which faith is born out of need And the greater the need, then the reliance upon God, and then we find God in a way we never knew him. And so it's just like an oak tree, any tree. It has to have the wind for that trunk to grow strong. Adversity creates Endurance. That's what the book of James was all about. You know, James throws out this incredible statement. Consider it all joy when you suffer. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, what? Uh, But he says, because, because you've got to understand the end result. It's going to produce perseverance a spirit of tenacity in you and then john in second corinthians 4 it says when the world looks at us and we go through trials and continue in our faith they said others will come to the faith because of our testimony that's a huge thought john you know we all want to pray and have faith and be delivered But there's a lot of us who pray and have faith, and we aren't delivered from the suffering. And the writer of Hebrews addressed this, I think, with one of the most glorious statements in the entire Bible. He said, what do we say about those who have faith and are not delivered from their trial? The Holy Spirit says, the world is not worthy of such people. Now, that, makes me have goosebumps yeah. because our light shines so much greater in the darkness that we're not being delivered from. So it's a huge thing, John, that we are granted this opportunity in a very dark world where Jesus said, Father, don't take them out of the world, leave them there so that we have this mission of being ministers, light bearers, sufferers that manifest the goodness and the greatness of God to overcome no matter what the world throws at us. That this is huge. I hope our listeners are hearing what the Holy Spirit is saying today in his New Testament. Yeah.
1: So if you are struggling right now, realize that there is a God given purpose in your struggle. And that purpose very simply is captured at the end of verse 25 of chapter one, to make the word of God fully known in you so that you understand more about your father and what he's done in and through you and to make the word of God more fully known to those around you. So basically he's advancing the kingdom in you and advancing the kingdom in the world through your suffering. Wow. Well, Frank, when we first started, You mentioned that you had six benefits, boy, I hate to use that word, benefits of suffering, advantages, fruits, whatever you want to call it. And uh, as we wrap up today, I'd like you to give us that list of six, then we'll count that as your closing comments.
2: That's absolutely. And you know, all of these, John, are personal experience. I think when I share them, you'll instantly go, yep, I know what he's saying.
1: That's right. I've been there with them. I, I lived through that.
2: And the listeners out there hopefully will affirm the same things. When we suffer, we are forced to depend upon God like perhaps never before. That's number one. And when we do, we will learn things about God that perhaps we never knew before and things about ourselves as well. In that is because thirdly, we are going to experience God in ways we never did before. You know, at this level of suffering, we're going to find that much more grace to get through that suffering. Fourthly, we're going to grow in endurance. That's that Greek word hupomone, and the idea there is not that we're kind of mealy mouth going through the trial, but we're standing courageously in the midst of it. Fifthly. It provides a powerful testimony to the world. When they look at us and see what we're going through, they expect us to deny God, to forsake God. And when we continue to trust, it prevents a powerful testimony to the world. And then lastly, it also encourages the rest of the saints to continue to trust God through their own afflictions that are coming their way.
1: Wow. It's a great message, Frank, but it's not a very popular message, is it? Mm -hmm. Well, friends, we hope that you've been blessed today on this episode of the podcast as Frank and I have been chatting our way through the book of Colossians, and we're really blessed that you took the time to stay with us because everything Frank and I have talked about has been born in the trenches of our own personal lives and our experiences as pastors and elders together for so many years. Mm -hmm. We invite you to visit our website. We talked about this at the beginning of the episode, OurResoluteHope.com. Check it out. Everything there is brand new. Of course, we'd love to hear from you. Send us a letter, if you will. Send us a contact. You can do that through our webpage pop us an email sign up for our newsletters we send out stuff every month sometimes several times a month ebooks and what have you you'll be the first to see all that information don't forget uh follow us please on our social media platforms we've got a facebook page we've got some stuff on instagram youtube and of course wherever you're hearing your favorite podcast episode itunes spotify and amazon music and as always we close with the very same reminder from hebrews 6 that we have this hope as an anchor for our souls Peter calls it a living hope in his first letter. Frank and I call it a steadfast, bedrock, resolute hope, or to use the words today that we saw in Colossians, a stable, not shifting hope. That hope is a person. Our hope is Jesus. So today and always choose hope and choose Jesus.
0: Thanks for listening. We trust that you've seen Jesus today. And you know that no matter what you're facing, he offers you himself his own life. He wants to live his life with you, in you, and through you as you trust him and walk by faith in this troubled world. You've been listening to Our Resolute Hope Podcast. For more information, find us online at OurResoluteHope.com and check out our social media channels under the name Our Resolute Hope.